Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Betty McCluskey, a psychotherapist and a licensed professional counselor specializing in autism spectrum disorders. How's it going, Betty? Pretty good, Brett. How are you today? I am. It is sunny and it's above freezing in Minnesota, so I am happy. Oh, me too. It's almost like that here in Wisconsin. Yeah. What? It should be like that. I'm pretty sure the entire upper Midwest was like upper 40s today. Well, I'm hoping because I didn't bother to shovel my driveway yesterday, and so I'm hoping it melts so I can oh, get out tomorrow. Snow yesterday? Oh. We did not a lot, just enough to make it inconvenient and sloppy. I'm sorry to hear that. I am yeah. I am psychologically done with snow, and and, <laughs> th- and that's not safe in this area because I have experienced 30 inch plus snowfalls overnight in Minnesota in March, which would it would at this point like. I would not leave the house for a couple of days. Like, I would just be devastated. It, it's called post-traumatic snowfall disorder. We all experience <laughs> it this time of year. Don't worry about it. We can work on that. All right. Because that's kind of what you do. You are a psychotherapist. I, I mean, I assume that the PTSD was a joke, but you you are a therapist with a private Absolutely. practice. With a private practice. And so it's nice because I get to kind of call my own shots and I don't have to answer to a bigger entity, just me. Yeah. Did you ever work at a larger uh, what would it, practice? For, I did. Um, for someone I've else? Worked, yep. I've, I've worked for different people. I worked for a huge corporate operation for a while. And the benefits were great and the pay was higher. But really, there's so much more control that they have over you. Mm-hmm. So in a private practice, you know, if somebody's really having a difficult time... I can run an extra 20 minutes and get another box of Kleenex and make sure that everybody's ready to go before they leave my office. Yeah. So it's easier being a private practice than being a corporate one. So I, I can relate to that. In, I worked corporate jobs for a long time and then a few years ago went independent and have experienced that same level of freedom and creativity. Although I currently, like the the point of me getting out of the corporate world was I don't have to talk to anyone if I don't want to anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're a little more remote than the rest of us, aren't you? I always have been uh, in many ways. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, what kind of what kind of uh, therapy do you do on a? Uh, I guess your average session. What kind of uh, things do you deal with? Well, like you said, my specialty is autism spectrum disorders. And so I deal with individuals and families, and sometimes we deal with whatever people bring to the table. And it's always going to be different just because people are so weird. And that's job security for me, thanks. But the good thing is, is that um, when I deal with people on the autism spectrum, I kind of have that inside track. And I think I shared with you earlier, my husband has Asperger's, which is a form of high-functioning autism. And he's a PhD and teaches in the local college system. And my daughter also has it. And she's graduating this year from the state college system with education, English, and all kinds of degrees. And then I have this small, wretched, gray cat that I know has Asperger's too. So I'm the only one in the family who doesn't have it. So out of self-defense, I've learned an awful lot about it and what makes me tick around those people, which makes it easier for the people I deal with in my practice to say, you're not talking so your child can listen, and the things you're saying go right past them. So let's teach you how to talk instead of making sure your child knows how to listen. 
So it kind of turns things around for parents and for family members. But the beautiful thing is when you watch it grow and watch them develop that relationship so they can all work together, it's like, yes, that's so rewarding. So I love that part of my job. Do you share your cat's diagnosis with patients? I usually do. And, you know, I have a book called All Cats Have Asperger's, and it's in my waiting area. (laughs) (laughs) There's another one. There's an accompanying one that says All Dogs Have ADHD. And that's in my waiting area, too, because... We all know dogs that have ADHD, and it's most of them. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you're also a behaviorist, right? I am. I do cognitive behavioral therapy is primarily what I do. So we look for, that means that you look for kind of the origins of the ideas that you grew up with and how you implement into your life at this part of your life. And if they're effective, and if they're not, let's make them effective and figure out how it affects you and the people around you. So I assume then that you have uh, you have at least personally noted in dogs that their association with uh, repercussion or reward is has like a five second range within <laughs> within whatever was happening at the moment. Yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah, I think Pavlov came up with that first, and he was so right. He yeah. was so right. So all yes. you have to do is say go outside, and they lose their minds, and and. <laughs> I've I've learned I have learned speaking of learning to talk I have learned not to use like not only certain words but entire tones of voice and language when I don't want the dogs to get excited. Um, I I can't say hey do you want to go for a blank to my partner? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like just leave the word out because they still they they've picked up on that whole sentence. My brother had a great big black lab for a while, and his name was Denny. And so he would say to him, Denny, want to go outside? And of course, the dog would go nuts. And so then pretty soon he'd say, Denny, do you want to go bananas? And the dog would go nuts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we learned to say all kinds of things to him with the right tonal inflection. Right, very flat. <laughs> um, well, because they, I, I, I'm sorry, I got, I, I like dogs. Um, yeah, so I'll leave that. Um I, I I like cats even better, so this is a dangerous. I I could really uh, go off on a tangent. Let's get back to the autism, though. Is so in your in your private practice is most of what you do uh, surrounding families and individuals with autism. I'd say probably seventy percent of the people I see are on the spectrum, or they're people who love people and support them on the spectrum. Okay, so now for me and anyone else who is not a psychotherapist. Um, Define, I hear this all the time, the autism spectrum. I hear spectrum used in a lot of areas, actually. What does this mean as far as understanding uh, when someone says on the autism spectrum? Is that that a general way of saying to some extent they're autistic? Right. Well, you know, if you think about um, one of the things our medical community talks so much about is diabetes. And diabetes is on a spectrum. You know, if if you're pre-diabetic, like we're all pre-diabetic, like we're all pre-dead, and that drives me crazy when they say pre-diabetic. But anyway, so when they say you're pre-diabetic, yes, control it with diet and exercise like everybody should. We know that. But then when you're midway through, then you're usually taking a pill for that diabetes, and that helps helps your blood sugar stay where it should. And when you're severely or brittle diabetic, as they used to say, then you're probably doing an insulin injection more than once a day. So an autism spectrum is kind of like that too. 
So people who are at that that really high-functioning end of the spectrum, half the time you wouldn't even know that there is any diagnosis because they're just really smart or really odd, just like anybody else you meet. But then when you get about to that middle of the spectrum, you might notice some more of the common symptoms we see in people who have autism spectrum disorders. And a disorder is something that affects your life on a daily basis. So if it's actually a disorder, then we see more symptoms and those people are supported more in the community. Maybe they have a coached job position because they can't work independently. But then when we get down to that, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, a low-functioning area, um, you're talking about people who will not work, who will be in the community in a different capacity, but they won't live independently. They will always be supported and probably in a group home or some kind of institutional setting if necessary. So it is a spectrum. You go from complete care to probably not much care at all, just like you do with a medical disorder. So on the autism spectrum just means that you meet a criteria established by the American Psychological Association and their associates that says, I meet criteria to put me on the autism spectrum. And depending on where you fall on that spectrum determines the type of services you get within the community and the medical community and maybe the schools. Okay. Um, so just like if you talk about uh, sexuality being on a spectrum, mm -hmm. that is like what you're describing is kind of a vertical, like there are definite stages going from okay to bad. I mean, for for the sake of this description, um, exactly. I'm not going to label everything bad, but uh, requiring no. little care to requiring constant care. Uh, exactly. Diabetes isn't diabetes. The diabetes comparison would be the same, except for is there a, an equivalent to type two, like adult onset? Uh, no. Autism. Nope. It's something that um, people are born with. The one thing we know about autism, because everyone looks for a cause and a cure and all of that stuff. It's what we call a pervasive developmental disorder. Pervasive meaning that it's throughout life. So it's there when you start and it's there when you end. Developmental, of course, meaning that as you go through life, you develop differently than a neurotypical person might. Note, might, not does. Because if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism. So you can't determine what they're all like just because you know one person. So there's differences with people on the spectrum. But when you look at how people develop and this idea of a pervasive developmental disorder, that's what makes the difference is there's not a cause that we've, that we've really, really noticed. There's a lot of theory. Um, vaccines do not cause autism. Agreed. <laughs> make that clear. <laughs> so um, <laughs> let's make that clear. But really what we know through the research is that sometimes in families where there's Downs and that connection isn't quite firmly established at this point, although tons and tons of research has gone into it, there's an overgrowth of white matter at the very early ages, like birth to three, and that's got something to do with it. So lots of information, but nothing that all ties neatly together. So it goes throughout life. There's not, it doesn't end, although lots of people learn to incorporate their autistic brain into a neurotypical situation. And some people disagree with 
with that type of training, social skills training and that sort of thing. And they say you're trying to change the person. We're not trying to change the person. We're just teaching you another language because neurotypical language can be different. And so when I say to my daughter, we're going to leave pretty soon, how soon is soon? Because soon isn't a measure. If I say we're leaving in 10 minutes, she knows exactly what I mean. So neurotypicals, yeah. I mean, would, would the... Would it be clearer in a case like that, as far as communication goes, to say it's time to start getting ready to leave um, rather than, um, you know, because the implication of we're leaving in 10 minutes would be I need you to be ready in 10 minutes. I'm just right. I'm, I'm figuring out the where is the um, the uh, ambiguity in the statement. Um, if you can't show it, you can't say it. Okay. So you you look nice today. What the heck does nice mean? Yesterday I wasn't nice. So I guess yesterday I didn't look nice. So if Yeah, I say, especially I'm, in the upper Midwest. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like your pretty blue blouse and I like how it matches your eyes. That makes you look pretty to me today. When I can figure this out. But if I say you look nice. Okay, which part of me looks nice? That means the rest of me doesn't look nice. And then the anxiety goes up and then it's hard to function. Wow. So yeah. learning yeah, learning to communicate makes it really important because so much of that autistic brain can be so specific. And we're neurotypicals. We're just we go by by guess and by gosh most of the time. I am I almost ready to go? I'm almost ready to go. What time do we have to be there? Three o'clock. How long does it take to get there? About an hour. You've is, just created a nightmare of anxiety for somebody on the spectrum. Sure. Is it is it more about it's not that um like neurotypical people would hear that differently, it's that we process it differently. Right. And we we flow like it's not the end of the world if it's inaccurate. Right. Right. Unless we have really high anxiety and then that's a whole different issue. Sure. But yeah, we're just, we kind of go by estimations and they do permutations and probabilities. Yeah. A lot, I shouldn't say all, but lots of them do. So can we, can we dig specifically into Asperger's for a second? Oh, sure. Um, there was a period of time not too long ago where basically every nerd thought they were, oh, or everyone thought their nerd friends were Asperger's. Um, Absolutely. I don't remember why this became such a topic i think there were some tv characters with asperger's that everyone's like there oh were. you're totally like that <clears throat> mm -hmm. yep here we go yeah so what is the uh what is the requirement for someone to actually be diagnosed with asperger's well and i have to give you a little bit of history <clears throat> asperger's didn't show up in the dsm-4 which is the diagnostic and statistics manual of the behavioral sciences until 1994 so it showed up as a separate diagnosis in 1994. And then when the DSM-5 came out two years ago, just about, they took it out as a standalone diagnosis. So if you were diagnosed with it between 1994 and the time the new one came out, you keep it, you're grandfathered in, but nobody can have it anymore as a standalone diagnosis. So I know, isn't that complicated? It um, is. I had no idea. Yeah. That's why we stopped hearing about it so much. <laughs> That's why. And and they do figure, the Center for Disease Control figures about one in 50 people is on the autism spectrum. So it does really make a difference. 
But when they were doing Asperger's, some of the diagnostic criteria were um, when you start speaking, if you stopped speaking, and then had to be retaught to speak. So that was a really big deal. They also looked at pronoun reversal, which means that instead of saying I, I would say you. Okay. We were in the grocery, we were in the grocery store one time, and my daughter was about three years old. We'd been to the park, and it was too late. It was about 6.30 at night, and we're in the grocery store. So here we are in the aisle that has dog food and plastic wrap, and she says in this loud voice, oh, you are so tired, so hungry you could eat dog food. <laughs> About, I know, about four of those sweet little Southern women. I could just see them dialing 911 on their cell phones, you know. Yep, social services needs to pick up this one. But <laughs> <laughs> the pronoun reversal was so funny because I would say, you need to do this. And she would say, you need to do this. And she'd take off and go do it. Like, wow, there's so much going on here. I wonder what this means. Um, so that was one of the diagnostic criteria. Um but other things, physical things, and we all know about the lack of eye contact, and there's that very cute book that's called Look Me in the Eye. Um, and that's it's well written, and it's interesting and fun. Um, but the lack of eye contact um, and a different level of emotional connection is usually what we see that leads to poor social skills. And one of the things that we know as therapists is something called perspective taking or theory of mind, because... When you say to somebody, well, how do you think that makes me feel? Well, if you're talking to a neurotypical person, they might think, oh, gosh, how does that make you feel? And they might even ask. But typically, if it's someone on the autism spectrum and you say, well, how do you think that makes me feel? They say, I don't know. How does it make you feel? <laughs> and it's <laughs> they're serious because they don't know. Because this idea of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes is probably one of the hardest things that we need to be able to explain because there is that difference between the way the brains work. So part of that, part of the diagnostic criteria is how they feel, how they respond, and how we socialize, because socialization is the biggest part of it. So, um, you know, when we see some of the television shows, and of course people always think of data, because Star Trek. Sure. And, and I'm thinking you know, of a lawyer on, like, Allie McBeal, I think. Yeah, Yep. And and uh, not Leonard uh, Sheldon Sheldon on yep. Big Bang, absolutely. And these are people that and I do closely relate to. A lot of what they do, a lot of the way they feel, I get mm -hmm. that. I do. I can oh, make yeah. eye contact. I am capable of understanding <laughs> other people's emotions. Although I have learned over the years that I am not as good at it as I think I am. It takes training, doesn't it? It does. And practice, yeah. I also have a certain amount of face blindness. Uh, absolutely oh, interesting. just do not recognize people until I have more context, non-facial ah. recognition. And, you know, and my daughter has it to a degree as well. And and in education and, and art, of course, that makes it difficult for her. And she runs into a lot of people and she's very social on the outside, but she won't know who they are. And she'll look at me sometimes and I can see the panic and I'll go over and I'll say, oh, hi, Jane. You remember Colleen from last year when we were at conference? And she'll yeah. say, oh, of course, I also remember Colleen. And I can see her thinking, oh, thank you so much for that. Um, Throughout my life, wingmen have been essential. Wing, wingmen and women. Yeah. And I call them life guides. That makes sense to I me. Call, 
Yeah, that person that, that makes it okay for you to function in the world, I call them a life guide because really that's what they are. And hopefully that person can help you learn to do it for yourself and or train the next one that's coming around the bend, whether it's a life partner or your cat or whoever it might be, but help them to make you feel more comfortable in the world at large. I'm going to try. Yeah, I'm going to try not to let this be a diversion. But this is why I initially uh, developed such an interest in wearable computing. Uh, The stuff MIT used to be doing where they had like facial recognition in eyeglasses. This is well prior to Google Glass. But like basically a computer system that would remember faces, remember, remember locations, Mm -hmm. be able to tell you when you walked into a classroom, not only your classmates' names and the previous conversations you'd had with them, but like where you were in the curriculum. And it's like, it would automatically do all of those things that I might have trouble remembering or processing on my own. And when you talk to somebody, it would remember their face, remind you what their kids' names are, remind you that they're going through a divorce (laughs) and you should be sensitive about these particular topics. And Mm -hmm. that would, I want that to happen eventually. Well, you know, I think of those crime scene drama shows, and they always put the face of the the unsub, as they call them, um, the unidentified subject or whoever they are, and they put them on the computer, and then they run it, and you get to watch all the faces flash next to it until it pulls it out. And I love that, and that's what we should have for people who have face blindness, because how easy would that be then? Because neurotypical people, we do that by ourselves. We just kind of start flashing, and we think, oh, gosh, who is that? And as I've gotten older, and I won't say how old I am, but I have had more than one 30th class reunion. Um, and my, <laughs> girlfriend, my girlfriend was here in our little small town where we had a class reunion. And she said, you're going to have to tell me who these people are. I don't know who anybody is anymore. I said, don't look for your friends. Look for your friends' parents. Because that's what we remember. <laughs> she it's said, true. oh, my God, you're right. It works so well. And it did. But, you know, you think about what you access as you try to remember. And wouldn't that be easy? I ran into I ran into a friend's mom yesterday, actually. Hadn't seen her for 25 years. And I remembered her. She she didn't change that much. But, yeah. And she said, Brett, is that you? Uh, And you said, I've grown facial hair. I had to remind her who I was. Did you? Uh, Uh, (laughs) Back uh, in high school, I did not make great impressions on friends mothers um, oh okay i was not a I, I honestly like my biggest issue was a lack of uh communication ability i oh, so you were an invisible kid i yeah basically yeah. um i was a troublemaker but i also just kind of yeah no i went to my i went to my 20th high school reunion recently last summer and yeah. um I didn't remember anyone. Uh, oh my god! Except for the people that had beat me up, I remembered them. And oh yeah, the evil people. Sure, it turned out they weren't evil anymore. It was kind of cathartic yeah. for me. Uh, but oh. the, the most, the prettiest, most popular girl in high school was still yeah. pretty, still very social, gregarious. She walked up to uh. me and she said, "I won't say names, but she asked me if I was who had been the most, like the homecoming king in high school." And yeah. I'm like, you really don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> I'm the guy you don't remember. Like, I was silent to begin with, and then I was PSEO for the last two years of high school. I wasn't even oh, there. Too funny. Oh, yeah. my God. 
I almost played along. My instinct was to play along with it and just be that for the night, but I didn't. Oh, that would have been awesome. I filled out my name tag properly. I didn't know at that point that he uh, wasn't even going to show up. I could have pulled it off. You could have. Someone Next would have time. caught me. Yeah. Yeah. Do it Anyhow. at the 30th. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, okay. So it sounds like the symptoms of Asperger's actually are, you could be, you could have some of these symptoms and they would be very common in people that like Myers-Briggs would call like INTJs. Um, Absolutely. Like you would see it without it, even back before it was removed from the spectrum, Mm -hmm. like you could see it without officially being diagnosed as it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's interesting is when um, we have therapists who, who have all good intentions and maybe haven't got as much experience with this group of people and they'll miss things. And I did have, one time I had a school counselor say to me, well, what I really want you to explain to me is what's the difference between obsessive compulsive disorder and Asperger's? Because they look exactly the same to me. And I thought, oh, well, we can't cover this in the next 10 minutes. You need like, I don't know, (laughs) 25 college credits to handle this. (laughs) I was going to say a master's degree maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Really? And I I was polite and said, you know, yeah, let's get together for lunch and we'll talk about that sometimes. Um, and it can look a lot alike. And a lot of times people who have an autism spectrum disorder are misdiagnosed as being attention deficit disorder. Um, I was being, just going to ask that. Yeah. Does, there's so does many, ADHD tie into the spectrum? Uh, or like like crossover, I mean, not like being on yep. the spectrum. but Oh, yeah, because you can have more than one thing. I mean, just like you can have um, an ear infection and a sinus infection and bronchitis all at the same time have more than one diagnosis for a mental health problem at the same time and but i mean can can like asperger's symptoms be they can um, be misdiagnosed exactly okay so when we're looking at kids who who are on the autism spectrum and we see that they have poor social skills we might also see a child who has shy child syndrome and they're awkward around their peers and it's hard for them to make friends and hard for them to join a group and so we could confuse that one diagnosis with the other and then start to treat them with the wrong type of therapy or something that's not as effective as maybe a behavioral change program because we're thinking that they're on the spectrum when they're not. Or kids who have um, something that's been diagnosed as intermittent explosive disorder. And that's a totally different thing than the outbursts that we can see with kids on the spectrum is where, that a violence or gastrointestinal thing? Um, it's violence. Okay. And, and so they might have an absolute meltdown, a, a screaming, yelling temper tantrum that, as they say now, clears a classroom because teachers will clear a classroom to keep other members of the class safe in, sure. in a school environment. So if you've got a child who has this and somebody says, well, I think he's on the autism spectrum, and I say he just generically, and then... We look later on, we do some psychological testing, we say, oh no, this is an intermittent explosive disorder. There's a whole different way to work with a child who has that diagnosis. So a lot of symptoms can look the same. A child on the spectrum might be having a meltdown because the environment has changed unexpectedly and dramatically, like maybe a fire drill. And so all of a sudden, the world has thrown upside down and chaos and everyone's lining up and leaving the room 
and there's a fire drill with all this noise and all this sensory input, and they're going to have a meltdown if those are problems for them. Sure. But if you have a kid with intermittent explosive disorder, that anything can set them off, and it's going to look the same. So that's why we have trouble with people who aren't quite as experienced with their diagnosing techniques, because then we'll see them diagnosed as one thing, and then you have someone who does some testing or knows a little bit more in a different area and says, oh, this isn't this at all. So sometimes those diagnoses can be wrong or can just be a standalone when there's more that we need to explore. So testing is really important when you're looking at somebody you think is on the autism spectrum or who has any kind of behavioral disorder. Because if you're misdiagnosing, you're going to treat them wrong. Just like if I have bronchitis, I'm going to hope they give me an antibiotic. But if I just have that viral crud that everybody got this year, yeah, go home, drink your orange juice, call in sick for a couple of days, and use some tea tree oil. <laughs> so it makes a difference how we help depending on how we diagnose, just like we do in the medical profession. So um, you talked about intermittent explosive disorder. How mm -hmm. common and at what... Okay, so I have friends and neighbors, like multiples, that that have autistic children mm -hmm. and I have seen violence become once they hit their teenage years become like, uh, we had neighbors, very nice people, uh, very a stable family, but the cops would have to show up at their house almost weekly. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. how common is that? And at what point on the spectrum do you start seeing that? Again, it just it depends on the person. And typically, when we're looking at um, police involvement, it's because the child, for whatever reason, is no is has just gotten out of control, their own and everyone else's. And police usually scare somebody enough that they can take a deep breath and say, "Wow, something's not right here. I need to re I need to reconfigure what I'm doing." So. The police involvement can be necessary for so many different reasons. Sometimes what um, what people are doing is really a record of the dysfunctionality of that child's interaction with their family and or community so that they can get them into maybe a residential treatment center where they can learn to be a more productive part of the community and then come back. Or maybe not. It just depends on the individual. But um, sometimes without police involvement, you can't build a record that'll stand up in court. And, there, and then you go into all this legalities of, of who does the funding and who pays tuition and, and all of that. So we get into insurance issues that are going to be so difficult in the next few years. But it just, it depends. It just, each situation is so different. And I've had, um, you know, I've, I've put on my wellies in the middle of the night in a rainstorm and gone to somebody's house or gone to the hospital to talk to the people who are going to do an inpatient and said, here's the kid, here's the file, here's the therapist, let's talk about what's going to be the most appropriate. Most therapists won't do that because they work in a corporate environment and their insurance won't cover them to do that. They yeah. don't have that authority to do that. But when police are involved, it's usually because physically nobody can control that person. And we can't let them be a threat to themselves or somebody else. Right. And they're, and when police are involved, if um, if the person is being taken to um, whatever kind of facility, 
because there's so many options depending on where you live. Um, it just depends on, on what's going on. Every situation is different. If that person is claiming that they will hurt others or hurt themselves or they have hurt themselves or someone else, absolutely. Um, they will put handcuffs on them, get in the back of the sheriff's car and go someplace safe. And that's unfortunate because then that makes things worse usually. Yeah. But it can't be helped. You just you do the best you can with what you've got. How are the care facilities in Wisconsin? You know, there's so many different ones. And and we've changed so much. Um, we have some excellent group homes. But what usually happens is if police are involved and someone is taken out of their home environment, they go to a state mental health facility, which can be a very scary place, especially for a younger person, because most of them are set up for adults. In Wisconsin, we have a couple of nice facilities, one over near Green Bay and one farther south in the state. They're set up especially for teenagers. So that's really good. Younger children, um, we don't have many options at all. So sometimes they just stay home or social services will put them in a therapeutic foster home for short term and then figure out what to do. We have one or two that, that is residential care for younger children. But mostly, not so much. Um, families, we're in an underserved area up here in the Northwoods. So families are pretty much stuck finding their own helpful sources. Um, the state of Wisconsin right now wants everybody to have behavioral, it's called ABA, um, behavioral work in the home or in the school. So that's a big trend here right now in getting away from residential care. We'll see how that works. Yeah. But we're, we're underrepresented here as far as qualified therapists. And it makes it hard for families to get the help that they need. So lots of times blogs, um, the Wisconsin Autism Association and local chapters of them are real helpful for parents and for family members. And they do lots of work in the community. The association, it's the ADRC. Um, God, I can't remember what the acronym stands for. Um, but they deal with with everybody, people with any kind of disabilities and aging. So Aging and Disability Resource Center. They're very, very helpful in getting the help you need. But our local resources are mostly um, volunteer-driven. Some of them get some government funding. And who knows how that's going to go forward in the future. Because well, we won't get political, but you've already dealt local. with years of Scott Walker, which has not been great for the mental health community. <laughs> It's are there, been really difficult. Are there any states that are getting it right in the U.S.? Minnesota, actually, um, and the group that, that I staff with, Minnesota gives almost three times, I think it's three times, I'll say twice just to be safe, as much money to people who need resources, people with disabilities, people who are homebound, as the state of Wisconsin does. And they really have a lot more to show for it. Their programs are more effective. Their people are more independent. They actually need to spend less money for per, per person over time, but they end up spending more money per person because their programs are so much better. And I know that's terrible to say, isn't it? It just sounds, it sounds disloyal somehow, but it's true. It, it, it's okay because <laughs> Minnesota is clearly better. They are. In this respect, they really, really are. It, it, do a nice we job. spend, I think, six six. Or seven percent, or six or seven times what you do on 
I'm sorry, now this is like a battle between the states, but on like arts and education and things have gotten worse for you since Walker. But okay, <laughs> that got political and, and very <laughs> like very uh, nation state very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Minnesota does a really good job. Um, I don't know how Michigan stacks up, but again... To be fair, I did not ask that question as a leading into bragging about Minnesota. I honestly <laughs> am curious, like, where is... Like, it seems like the kind of thing that if if the professionals in the field had input in where government spending went, they would be able to say, you could spend this much on improving these programs and save this much in the long run on the issues Absolutely. that you're going to see. Absolutely. Um, and that's often, I mean, across the board and in any state, that is the kind of information that is often ignored because budgets are written in the short term. They so. are. And we're not, you know, we're not looking at um, when we've got a child of five years old who's entering entering the public school system and saying, we're going to spend approximately this much money supporting this child K through 12, because then when they become an adult, they'll be a functioning con and contributing member of society. And we won't need to expend that much time, energy and money on that functional adult. And you're, you're right. Budgets are short term. And so our politicians look short term because they only get a four year stint and then maybe another and maybe another if we're God, let's not even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, going forward, they don't want to say, well, what happens when they're 18? Right. Um, you know, I guess that's for their parents to figure out. So we figure that out later on. And, and by then, those guys are going to be retired and living someplace lovely like Cozumel. Yeah. <laughs> and it, we won't. The, the same thinking that applies to our current incarceration and prison system. But it is. All right. It is. That got off track fast. Sorry. <laughs> it evolved. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I kind of want to talk about writing, but we're at a point in the show where we should switch to top picks. How 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 are you set for time? Oh, I'm I'm pretty good. How are you set for time? I you need to make it. You need to call that. We're shot. recording on a Sunday. Oh, okay. I'm I, good. I all right. So let's talk quickly then about uh, writing. You you've started writing. at least one book. I have, and um, when I first started, I think my daughter was. She might have been seven. And she was diagnosed right about that age with Asperger's syndrome. And so the first book I thought I would write was um, because because I am the only neurotypical person in my household. It was living with aliens. And it was going to be from my viewpoint. And then time went on and I put down a couple of chapters and those are somewhere. I don't know where. And then I thought, hmm, yeah, it needs to be written about about the child and how the child comes to be a person of the world. So then I decided that my second book was going to be Some Assembly Required, and that was going to be all about her. And now I've <clears throat> just decided that we're far too serious about this subject. And so my new book is um, Notes of a Parentheses Soon-to-Be-Convicted Felon, <laughs> because so often I get so frustrated <laughs> and I think I should just push her out of the car. Not literally, but it does go through my head. <laughs> and I'm sure someone would convict me for that. And um, Would your and, cat be included in this? Yes, absolutely. He, <laughs> he's, take, he's a sink drinker, and then at about four in the morning, he's usually in the bathroom when he's emptied the sink of water, singing the song of his people, um, which, oh, God help us all. Uh, do you have a, is it a Siamese? <laughs> 
No, he's just this skinny little wretched gray thing that weighs seven and a half pounds. It always has. He's never gotten smaller. The little ones are always the loudest. Oh, God, he is. He's got <laughs> lungs like dustbin liners, and there he is at four in the morning. <laughs> Do, when he walks, does it sound like he's stomping? Um, only if he's really, really mad. <laughs> it's always it's always fascinated me that the smaller cats I've had always sound the heaviest, like when they're walking the floor above you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he does that. We but, had you a know- Siamese that sounded like a person when they came down the stairs. <laughs> He probably had little boots that you just never actually saw. Little moon boots. See, I got sidetracked on cats again. Oh, cats. See? It is. It's a cat thing, isn't it? It's a cat. <laughs> cats combined with my ADHD. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. So we were talking about writing books. Um, so there's so many books out there for people to read, and, and it's a media explosion. And... There's so it's so hard to find the type of information that you want to look for. There's some really good websites, um, and the Wasteman Center, W A I S M A N, in Wisconsin, has a couple of really excellent researchers who've put together different um, different types of resources for you to find and read, depending on what you're looking for. And um, who else has done that? Actually, the Wisconsin Department of Public Education website has some amazing resources listed so that you can look for specifically social skills or something we call a hidden curriculum or table manners or behavioral schedules. So they've separated that information into different areas, and you can find all kinds of stuff depending on what you're looking for. So you don't have to get overwhelmed with this media blitz because there's so much stuff out there. Sure. Who, yeah. who who filters all that stuff? Like if 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 someone had an autistic child or was dealing with autism in their life, um, how would they determine what to read? Um. Wow, that's such a big question. Sure, because <laughs> like, there's so much stuff out there. Sure, but someone has to like curate. There has to be some like these are the most popular books. These are the ones best mm-hmm. reviewed. Like other than Amazon reviews. How, how do you um, find that? Is there an Oprah book club for books on autism? Kind of there is. It's the APA Publishing Company, the Autism Publishing Association. And so a, they do a lot of really good um, ferreting through the information and the publications that they accept and they actually print. So the APA is a great place to find information. Um the original guru of autism that was recognized in the United States, of course, is Tony Atwood. And I was lucky enough to hear him speak at the first conference I went to. And he calls himself Tigger after Winnie the Pooh Tigger. Bouncy, yeah. trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, full of fun, fun, fun. Yeah, I've always been Eeyore, but yeah. <laughs> and he is. He's, he's Tigger. And he's awesome. He knows so much about it. So his books are probably cornerstone for looking at any kind of research because you can start with him and then branch outward. His stuff is pretty technical, though. So you want to, depending on how you're processing information, you want to see if his stuff is readable for you because sometimes it can be at a really highly detailed professional level. He is a doctorate, and he does all that. But um, the APA publishes some amazing stuff and, of course, the work by Temple Grandin. Because Temple Grandin is probably the most famous person in the United States on the autism spectrum. And there's a movie, 
and I can't remember what it's called. It's, we just call it the Temple Grandin movie. Claire Dane played Temple Grandin in the movie and got all the awards. But it's a wonderful depiction of her life because she directed the movie. So it's a depiction of her life growing up and coming into an adulthood and being successful working on the autism spectrum. And she'll act, she's actually the keynote speaker at our annual conference for Wisconsin this year. Uh, for the record, the movie was actually called Temple Grandin. Thank you. <laughs> you Googled it, didn't you? <laughs> I, that's what I do. Good. Um, and it is. It's amazing. And for parents who are looking for information, who are looking for validation to say, wow, that is my child. Oh, my God. Um, it's wonderful to watch. Nice. All yeah. right. Well, so those are good resources. Um, as far as writing goes, what, what stopped you from finishing a book? The time and energy that it takes to support people on the spectrum is phenomenal. There's not a lot of time and energy to do much else. And I really thought <clears throat> that as our daughter got older and went to college and did all those things, I'd have more time. And I do have more time. I do. I have to say that. But still, as a life guide, there's a tremendous amount of, of time spent being ground crew. Well, I would so think energy, too. Like, even if you it, had time... Yes. I would be pretty drained at the end of that. It's a lot. When 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 our daughter was three and we would go to the library, we were in Tennessee at the time, we'd go to the library for Saturday Children's Day. We had this wonderful children's librarian, Miss Jean, and I said, Miss Jean, you know, I know it takes a lot to raise kids, but sometimes at the end of the day, my brain feels like it's been plucked like a chicken. Do other people feel like this? And she looked at me and she said, Miss Betty, they don't. Your child's special. <laughs> I thought, you got that straight. <laughs> because really, at the end of the day, you just sit there and go, there is nothing left in my brain or my body, and, and I'm too overwhelmed to sleep. Now what am I supposed to do? But it does. It takes so much. And so you think you have a project going, and then it drops because then we move into another stage of life that takes a whole new level of energy. So... I keep stopping and then I keep starting. Sure. <laughs> and eventually you'll see one out there somewhere with my name on it and go, I think I remember her. She must be a hundred by now. <laughs> and that'll be me. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, that brings us to what would technically have been the midway point. But we're going to take a quick sponsor break and hear from Text Expander for Teams. And then we'll be back with the top three picks. Okay. This episode of Systematic is brought to you by Text Expander for Teams. Text Expander for Teams is a productivity multiplier. It provides a shared knowledge base from which your team communicates quickly and accurately. Imagine all of your team's common replies are worded by your best writers, and then imagine they're immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. Imagine they're available on all the platforms your team is on, Mac, iOS, and now Windows, and that's Text Expander. A prime example within a business is customer service. Text Expander helps customer service teams provide better, more accurate service while saving vast amounts of time on repetitive responses. Teams of all sizes can harness the productivity benefits enjoyed by the folks from Smile, 1Password, WordPress, Shopify, and You Need a Budget. Visit TextExpander.com systematic to start your free trial. All right, and that brings us to the top three picks. Um, this goes round robin. We do one at a time, and you go first. I go first. The top number one pick is chocolate. Okay. Is 
Is there anything else? It has to be. I'm, I'm going to say yes, but I will. I will but? ask. Um, is there a specific type of chocolate you like oh, that you that you boy. like above all others? You know, my sister lives in England, and she sent me a little tiny tin of chocolates last year for Christmas. There were about six of them in there, and I made them last almost a month because they were so good. Yeah, but I don't know what they were. They were illegally good. <laughs> I have friends in Germany <laughs> that send me uh, surprisingly oh. Belgium sampler packs once in a while. Oh, aren't those yeah, nice? They come in wooden boxes with yeah. hinges and everything. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It should be a humidor, shouldn't yes. it? Yes, <laughs> it is, technically. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, do you, uh, is this a, a relaxation technique for you? Oh, it's everything. Oh, it's relaxation. Oh, it's coping. Oh, it's celebration. Oh, it's grief. Oh, it's loss. Oh, it's energy. Oh, it's relaxation. So yeah, what, it's all uh, what, what do you prefer do you like a uh, lighter chocolate that you can munch on for a while and eat a bunch of it or do you like a a small super rich truffle that you eat one and you're like done for an, a day oh yeah that'd be the best yeah that'd be absolutely the best because then you can sit there and remember it for mm -hmm. a while and then tomorrow when you need another one you can think oh i don't know if i'm ready yet that other one is <laughs> i'm so with you good. on that <laughs> Yeah, I find every evening, my diet has gotten extremely healthy in the last couple of years. Um, Excellent. I cut sugar out almost completely, like any added sugar anyway. I Doesn't that make a nice difference in your energy and level? And my ADHD, yes. Um, yeah. But every night, I get a chocolate craving. Uh, the evening isn't over until I've had a piece of chocolate, and it does not have to be much. And I mostly eat like um, really like 70% plus dark chocolate, 70% cocoa. Ooh, you are good. Um, well, and like I can eat one little rectangle of that out of a bar and that that satisfies it. That that ends it. But if yeah, I don't have it, oh, man, I'll go to sleep like my with my like. It's not so much my stomach as my brain like gnawing at me. I need chocolate. Oh, yeah. And it says. Well, maybe if I wake up at three and I can't sleep, maybe I'll go get it then. But I'm so warm right now. Yeah. See, I live in a small town in Minnesota. There's nowhere you get chocolate after like 8 p.m. Well, oh, yeah. I suppose Walmart probably has something, but I, I have never been to Walmart. Don't do I that. Don't. <laughs> Just don't Even do if that. I really needed chocolate, I can't imagine what they'd have at Walmart would <laughs> would be worth my trip. <laughs> They don't do much imports, not from that part of the world that makes the good chocolate anyway. So if I were going to give people <laughs> a link to your favorite chocolate, do you have one? Oh, oh wow. No, there's just too many. I like Tobler. That's always good. What's that? Oh, I like Tobler. Toblerone. Toblerone. Yeah, Toblerone, okay. Yeah. I like that. That's nice. That's nice. But it's not, it's not, I don't know, it's just not decadent enough. well i'm just gonna find a general wikipedia style page on chocolate for this link then that would be good see i could go get that little tin because i set i kept it because i'll be back in london this year and i'll buy more for myself and import it myself i'll send i'll send you some recommendations oh that'd be a really good we idea. have a, a local shop that uh they make a lot of really good pastries and desserts but Do they you? also make amazing truffles so Oh, you're lucky, aren't you? 
that is we have some really we have good cheese shops here but they don't make chocolate. i would hope so you're in wisconsin <laughs> um yeah yeah no uh winona is kind of amazing there is like right now at this point there is one restaurant that i love to go to uh like that's it and Just surprisingly one. for minnesota it's a sushi restaurant but it is really good and they have a separate Thai menu so you can go twice in a week and have anyway oh my gosh. anyway a, you're so a lucky. dearth overall of restaurants but when it comes to arts and coffee houses and events and music this small town in minnesota is like non-stop interesting any night of the week you're so lucky yeah, we need to travel if we're going to do anything. Our local high school did the Wizard of Oz two weeks ago. It was fantastic. Um, but, you know, for anything bigger than that, sometimes we're online with a mat. We have a, we have a couple of colleges, uh, one of them being St. Mary's University with a great performing arts program. Uh, so even our well, college. And yes. State. And so even our, our uh, performing, performing arts from the colleges are amazing. But then we have Midwest Music Festival, and we have the Shakespeare Festival, and we have just constant bands touring through. Like, Winona's gotten cool enough. We have the uh, Boats in Bluegrass Festival, uh, big, like, Trampled oh by gosh. Turtles headline last year or two years ago. Uh, we get you great. Guys. St. Patrick's Day, I'm at a bar, and for free, with no cover charge, uh, Gentlemen's Anti-Temperance League, which is a really good, I guess you'd call it. You're like, so spoiled. Yeah, no, seriously, it's it's amazing. Yeah. People, uh, Winona is kind of a treasure in the area. I I have wow. no intention of leaving anytime soon. All right. So anyway, <laughs> my first pick. Um, uh, my first pick is going to be a very simple, very inexpensive, um, a cable drop. I don't think I used this last week. Um, uh, I do top picks. A cable drop. I do. Yeah, yeah, I'll explain this in one second. I do. Uh, I do top picks every week and I have to come up with three. Uh And as the person who runs the show, I do tend to run out of them pretty. I run, I run dry (laughs) once in a while, but I don't think I've used this one before. It's uh, it's called a cable drop and it's a small um, adhesive rubber object with uh, you can get them with four or five like slots in them and they're 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 circular and at the front they're open and it's made of rubber so you can snap a cable into it and hang it there and i'm using this because at this point in my life i have usually at least three devices i charge in the evening while i'm sleeping oh i know what you mean yeah i've seen so there's a hub next to my bed but constantly looking for the right you know, I have to like start at the hub and then trace the cable to find the one with the right end for the device I need to charge. So I I decided <laughs> to neaten this up, hid the hub way back, you know, behind the night t- nightstand, and put a cable drop on the side of the nightstand where I can hang the four different cables that I need. And then in the morning when I unplug the device, I just snap the cable back in, and they're all right there, easily identifiable by the port on the end. Or the plug on the end, I it, it these things are like uh, nine bucks. Totally wow. worth it. I would think in this day and age, everyone has at least you know two two things they plug in most evenings, or at their desk or and anywhere. They, they should have that. You know, my my husband um, has his office downstairs, 
um, he calls it the subterranean learning environment. We call it downstairs basement office. And he had so many things plugged in that when my cousin, the, the electrician, came over, he stood in the middle of his office with his arms in the air and said, my God, this is a fire waiting to happen. What have you done? So yeah, I got I got lectured about that a long time ago. I currently have like Did you? I have in this office where I'm sitting right now. I have three un- uninterruptible power supplies, uh, all spaced out and connected to a total of two different circuits for the house. Uh, so I reduce the risk of overload, and then Thank everything God. auxiliary runs through a uh, surge protected uh, desktop. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we have now, because otherwise, yeah, he wasn't going to let us live here anymore. It's it's fair. <laughs> it's fair. The average the average computer-based office these days tends to uh, use a lot of outlets. Isn't it? God, that's a good idea. Right, you really should give us all a link to that so we can all find one. <laughs> all my uh, uninterruptible, uninterruptible <laughs> power supplies. Exactly. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so what's your number two? Oh, my number two. See, and now I kind of go by generalities instead of specifics like that. And that is like absolutely that. fine. Absolutely. Um, because I love The Wizard of Oz. I totally love The Wizard of Oz. And I love all things wizard. And probably my most favorite thing is the broom. Well, okay, hold on. So uh, in my head, we're either talking about a book or a movie. Um, Probably just The Wicked Witch of the West mostly. Okay. So the character. Yeah. Are we... Character, character in the book which or the movie? Is the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, both. Okay. Because, well, there's, you know, there's all the books. Yes. There's all the books and all the different views. And I do like Alphaba. I like her quite a bit. And there's, all, in that whole series, there's the whole thing that surrounds the broom. Because the broom isn't just a, a method of conveyance, the broom is also new life. And that was interesting, too. So Wizard of Oz, and I especially love the Wicked Witch of the West, and I love her broom and all the power it brings in so many different ways. This is uh, uh, this is possibly the, the most, um, we'll say, eccentric top pick I've heard. <laughs> is it? The oh, broom See, of the I Wicked Witch something. of the West from Wizard of Oz. My, my mom read, no, I think it was actually my dad read the the original novel to us when we were kids and even oh, then i picked up on the fact that there is stuff in here that they wouldn't put in a disney movie that's exactly right and uh the yeah, number of drug was references weird. was pretty much through the was roof was phenomenal wasn't it <laughs> there was social commentary this person... all this stuff that never made it so political yeah, yeah so political so yeah, that's one of my favorites. I get it. What's your second? Well, I don't know. First, I want to tell you that I, I today I've been going through the intricacies of um, uh, the labyrinth, the David Bowie Muppeteer oh movie, Jim Henson. Uh, yeah, like wow, I had forgotten. Like I knew I liked the movie. It was a, a childhood favorite, but I yep. you know moved on. You were brought up right. <laughs> <laughs> they made sure they nurtured your my brain. Parents did not, did, my parents good. did not, uh, I would say, approve m- me oh, watching that movie. I had a lot of friends who oh. who we could you know, do what we wanted. My parents did approve of me watching Princess Bride, and I did see that many, many times. 
<laughs> well, that was good. That was a They start. were unthrilled about Clockwork Orange, which I, I also watched many times. 1984, <laughs> uh, Logan's Run. But um, I, The Labyrinth was, it had the same magic for me as when I read. I, I, I guess I never got into the movie uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. Didn't you? I didn't at at the age that I watched it at. It didn't hook me. It was enjoyable. I I didn't oh, hate okay. it. Um, it was just a thing. Yeah, it was it was yeah. kitschy. Like I'm I'm almost forty now. So by the time I saw the film, it was already I don't know, probably ten fifteen years old. It was a little la- lacking in CG, wasn't it? <laughs> that, that wasn't the issue. A lot of my favorite sci-fi, which you would think would have the best CG, um, or at least film effects. Not always. <laughs> Not always. That, w- that wasn't necessarily my issue. It was more of the uh, the kitschy musical value of the... Oh, that. Oh, that. The singing and dancing part. But I like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, so... Oh, yeah. Uh, Gene oh, yeah. Wilder. I miss that guy. Okay, so number two, let's keep going with um, household organization tools, and I will mention my Rubbermaid pull-down spice rack. It is, uh, for those curious, the FG8020RDWHT model. Whoa! Uh, I believe the WHT is just because it's the white one. Um, But this is, (laughs) I I have, uh, this weekend I tackled the worst spice cupboard I have ever seen. Um, bags of unlabeled spices dating back to like 2012, maybe earlier, um, half rancid, mostly stale, uh, and very poorly labeled inconsistently at best and piled onto shelves. So makes me cringe to think about it. It did me as well. So I, I tackled the whole thing and I uh, went through every bag. If I couldn't identify it, it got put into a airtight container for someone else to try. If it had no taste or smell, it went in the garbage. And everything went Good into job. brand new jars and labeled. And then, because all I had... Like, I like drawers with top-labeled jars. I find those convenient, but that wasn't an option. They're so much easier, I aren't they? I think so, yes. Um, g- with that option not being there i i purchased this uh pull down spice rack which is a three-tier uh a rack that you can affix to a shelf usually the bottom shelf and then it has arms so that when you pull it forward it bring it comes forward and down and hangs out of the cabinet i need this so then you can you know access and read all your spices easily and then push it back into the cabinet uh there's even room behind it it's not by design technically uh or not intentional but there's room behind it for a row of those spices that you use once in a while but really need to keep around like you know saffron threads and things like that um (laughs) cloves i combine that with some like uh strips that go on the cabinet door that you can hang spices from and uh ultimately came out with a cabinet that has a whole shelf empty Oh, my God. You know, Brett, as you describe this, there is that idea of OCD. I prefer CDO because it needs to be in alphabetical order. Just like your spices? 
they they are sorted first. They are sorted first by uh, levels of like savory and spicy, and then alphabetically oh, within I those. I may have a problem. Excellent. I'm thinking we could find some medication for you, and it would probably go under E for effects. <laughs> I have had bad experiences with the effects here, but it has been tried on me. <laughs> How long did this little project take? Uh, you? Five hours. That's not really too bad. And then I went out for St. Patrick's Day. And you really probably needed to by then. Yeah. But I was I was home after an hour and a half, so that was my social limit for the oh. night. Well, that's because you wanted to come home and look at your nice project. I, and I'll admit, and I'll admit, I have multiple times since finishing it uh, gone just to look at them, even when I wasn't cooking. Yes, you pulled it down and gone. God, I am. I rock, man. Look what I. <laughs> There's did a here. sense of satisfaction to it. <laughs> I hope you're not showing it to all your friends and family. I, you? You're assuming that I invite people over to my house. Oh, there's that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I have most of my conversations through a microphone. Uh, That's probably a good idea. <laughs> all right. Your final pick. My final pick. And actually, it is, it is a, it's a thing. Um, and talking about autism, it's called a time timer. Have you ever seen one of these or heard of no. these things? It's because a lot of people on the spectrum don't, under, don't feel the passage of time like neurotypical people do. So, like, you can kind of tell how far we've been going and how long we've been talking, and even if you're not looking at the clock. But a time timer looks, it, it measures an hour. So it's um, it's got a white face, and it looks almost like a kitchen timer, but it's silent because that tick, 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 tick can drive people crazy. So it's a silent timer. And what happens is if you want to set it for half an hour, you pull it down and you set it to 30 so that half of it's white and half of it's red and then as the minutes disappear the red disappears so that where you and i can understand that passage of time someone who doesn't understand it can look at that red disappearing and know their time is running out kind of like you know the sands through the hourglass in the wizard of oz so it's a different way of being able to measure time and a time timer they used to be really expensive they could go for like Oh, depending on the size of timer, because you can buy a little tiny one that's a wristwatch or a big one to hang on the wall. So they can go from 20 bucks to 150 But now there's an app for that, and you can buy it for $1.99 and put it on your phone so that you can tell your kid or your spouse or your cat how long it's going to be and set the timer and say, look, we're leaving in 10 minutes. So a time timer is invaluable for people who don't understand time. Yeah. So I show that the uh, the 12-inch one, like the, I assume mm-hmm. is the largest, might get bigger. Yep. Um, but I show that one is thirty dollars, and the app. Yeah, they've come yeah, down the a lot. Yeah, the app is three bucks. I think. Yeah. This this is intriguing. There are I enjoy timers. I actually have a really good sense of time. Like I can take a nap without setting a timer. My my brain will wake me up in the time that I wanted to, and if it doesn't, I will know what time it is when I get up. Uh, I can, Ooh, you're good without at a watch, I can almost always guess what time it is within 15 minutes, not having looked at a, a clock for four or five hours. Oh, you're really yeah, good. It, it freaks me out that I always, I, sometimes I wish I could lose track of time, but, um, <laughs> I will say I will lose track. I'll, I'll, I'll tell someone I'm going to go work on something for half an hour and then come back two hours later. But, but I know full well. <laughs> that I am that I'm an hour and a half hours. past my time. Um 
Yeah, you can tell. There is an app I, I would point you to. Do you use a Mac? No. Okay. No, I'm Windows. I don't know if there's one available for Windows, but it's called Zentimer. Uh, oh, yes. Aren't well, those wonderful? This one is, it's a tree. It shows up oh, on your desktop as a tree, okay. and then the leaves begin falling over the course of whatever time you set until that oh until it's gosh. dead, and that's when your timer is up. And then oh how clever yeah like the 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 trunk will disappear you'll just see leaves across the bottom and then it's designed for the pomodoro technique so then you have like your how five clever. minute break and then it starts growing yeah. up again yeah I like it a lot oh I need to find that Zen time oh no I I described that incorrectly it actually it grows over the course of an hour until it's a full grown tree and then when the time is up it dies and all the leaves fall. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Yeah, I need to find that. I could set that on my desktop so that people in session would know they had 50 minutes See, and then and we'd it, be done. I don't know if it's too abstract for people that might have a really hard time with time, but it is very visual and it's less yeah. uh, imposing to me than an actual countdown timer that makes me think, Yeah. you know, I only have five minutes to finish this. Instead, I can be like, oh, hey, the tree's almost full. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I need to find that. That's excellent. I do need to put that on my on my wallpaper. Okay. So then, <laughs> my last pick. Um, Your last pick. I swear, I I probably talk about this product frequently, and I've probably even mentioned this as a top pick multiple times. Um, I um, am loving. You need a finder's fee. <laughs> I I get uh, like if uh, for this particular product, I use an affiliate link, which means. Uh, anyone who clicks it to check it out and then buys anything on Amazon, I get a I get a, a kickback. It costs. It is a fine. Yeah, speed. kind of. It costs the it costs okay. the buyer nothing. It's am it's out of Amazon's pocket. It's Amazon's way of thanking people who send traffic to them. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately, it, it it if if there's a product I can link on Amazon, I use an affiliate link and. Again, I have absolutely no ethical issue with that. <laughs> oh, there don't need there doesn't need to be an ethical issue there really, here. There isn't. It, it's exactly what we need. It costs nobody yeah, you're anything. Providing information. Yeah, it's information. Yeah. So, uh this last I'm I'm gonna go with the sleep phones wireless. And uh I started using sleep phones, which are they're like a, a sweatband kind of looking thing that has flat, yeah. soft headphones inside of it. So you can sleep on your ear with your like uh, with music or a relaxation tape on uh, and your ear will never get sore. You can wear them all night. It's just like you're my hero. I, honestly, how do I not these know about changed these? everything for me because I got into binaural beats, which absolutely require headphones Uh yeah, these are fantastic. Yeah, so and even even if you're not using binaural beats, which these days mostly I'm not, but just to have stereo sound in your ears that doesn't disturb anyone else and is completely comfortable is great. Uh, completely comfortable is important. Oh my god! And so the the wired ones would last me about a year and a half average, and then yeah. they would they would wear out in various ways. Uh, usually, just the cable would wear out. So, um, this time on my third pair, well, I, I had taken, 
then I, I got the iPhone seven. I had no headphone jack to plug them into, so I had I had taken apart the pair I had that was almost defunct, and had wired in a um, a Rock Rock Bluetooth transmitter and receiver, and and did that it work? It worked for a while. I am somewhat sloppy when I do these kinds of projects, and. <laughs> um. It's that estimation. You're just trying to figure out. Well, that's that's my life is like, (laughs) I wonder if I can make this work. I don't care if it's beautiful. Let's beat it into submission. And then I can say, hey, I made it work. Um, And then it will. And it always works. For for a period of time. Yes. Um, These eventually fell apart because I basically had just twisted wires together and stuffed them in a sock, essentially. Um, But so then I, I went ahead and I purchased the, the, the I think they're about ninety nine dollars, um, the sleep phones, wireless headphones, and they are they have a Bluetooth uh, transmitter in them. They work perfectly with the iPhone. They're just as comfortable as ever. And the do they only work with an oh, iPhone? No, any, do they work any, with a yeah, anything that can use Bluetooth okay. headphones, they'll work with. And okay. they have uh, buttons like inside on a like rubber the transmitter itself is just this kind of rubber slab in there uh that you can you can it works both on your forehead or on the back of your head it's designed to go on the back uh but there are three buttons for play pause and fast forward rewind and you can also control volume and everything from those three buttons um i won't say that's the most convenient to like feel around with your fingers to find but they are raised buttons it's not impossible the biggest drawback for me is just having to remember to plug the headphones in in the morning. <laughs> so they're not the so you can use them yes, that night. The 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 biggest issue I ran into with using the Rock Rock on my little homemade version was that when it runs out of batteries, it very loudly starts beeping at you. And Yikes. if you're already asleep, you know, just die Yikes. silently. It's fine. And that would wake me up and so so, so are these things on, on a headband and can I make them color coded to match my outfits? Um, well, they're not really designed for wearing out in public, but you totally oh, I could. I mean, like you they could. are, they look like a sweatband and that's the, what, really? I love that you can pull them down over your eyes and use them as headphones and, uh, uh, not perfect, but a sleep mask. And I've used them on airplanes as combination headphone sleep mask. And I can like lean up against a window or a pillow on the window without my ears getting sore the way they do with any earbud or headphone. Oh, that's such a, you know, I'll be, I'll be flying internationally this summer and I need you those, don't these, I? Yes. Oh my gosh. That sounds like heaven. I need those. I'm buying those. This may be the third time and- they've been a top pick of mine. Um, I you love I these. Really we do. should love these. I, when I when I pick top picks, I look through them like what what have I you know purchased or enjoyed lately that really actually I know that a year from now I will still enjoy, and that I try to make that. Sometimes they're more aspirational than that, but um, but yeah, this is definitely worth mentioning repeatedly for me. Oh yeah, it has to go in my toolbox for my kids on the spectrum because it's going to be perfect. Excellent. Glad I could help. Thank you. Thank you. So, where can people find you? On the, on the internet. Uh, you know, actually, if they just put my name in, if they just put in Betty McCluskey, and it's B-E-T-T-Y-M-C-C-L-U-S-K-E-Y, 
M-O-U-S-C, and it'll show up in Tomahawk, Wisconsin, and that's where I live. And so you don't have a dedicated website? Does your practice have a website? I do, yep. It's, um, my website for the, for the business is Psychological Resource Center. All spelled out. And it's an LLC. All spelled out, yep. That's so long. Um, I know. Wait, so it? is LLC part of it? Yes, it Good is. Grief. Psychological Resource Center, LLC. Well, you know, it's kind of like when you buy a hybrid dog and you get those long, long names that they have to have. I uh, See, I, I can't <laughs> so, talk. My my domain forever now has been brettterpstra.com, which is just, you always have to explain <laughs> to people that there's three T's in the middle of it, and it's it's ridiculous. And it works. And when I have to give my email address to someone over the phone, you know, someone who has had a hard enough time pronouncing my last name. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> Reasons, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Terpstra. Got it. So anyway, um, do you, are you on Twitter? No, I'm not. Are you on Facebook? I'm not. Yes, of course, I'm on Facebook. Do you have a page on Facebook that people should visit? Nope. They can find me by All my right. name. Yeah. Sounds fair. Because, yeah, we're personable and, and, and we get along with most everybody. <laughs> most everybody. Except for those Minnesotans. <laughs> Those Minnesotans, they come from that foreign country. We had a passport to go there last summer when I visited my sister. <laughs> I can't believe you made it through customs. I know it was really hard, but but I had enough yogurt packed and it was good. It was good. Ran, a completely random aside. Have you ever seen the movie Highway 61? No. It's, uh, it was an indie film. Do I need to? You might enjoy it. Um, it was an okay. indie film in the 90s about a... A guy who finds a body in his backyard. He lives in Canada at the head of like six, Highway 61. And he believes that the uh, the right thing to do is to drive this body back to um, New Orleans. All the way down 61. Oh my God. In the process, he meets a man who may or may not be the devil. Uh, a man who believes himself to be the devil, if nothing else. And... Uh, and he meets a beautiful woman who convinces him to pack the body with cocaine uh, to smuggle it. Oh, I love and, this. Uh, the border, the border <laughs> patrol, the guy who, uh, the guy who controls like travel between Canada and the U.S. Uh, at the border yeah. on 61 is played by Jello Biafra from the uh, Dead Kennedys. Uh, this is insane. This can't really it be really a movie is. you're making. I even now. own I own the illustrated storyboard for it. They made like a whole comic book oh out of the storyboards. Oh my god. Okay, so that was random. Um Yeah, that was random, but it sounds like something I need to watch, I, doesn't it? I, I I you will have trouble finding it, but if you contact me, I I may or may not have a full rip of it. And I carvial purposes only yes, copy. Exactly. Yeah, that would be it. All right. Well, I am uh, I am Brett Terpstra. I'm at brettterpstra.com. I am at TT Scoff everywhere else, Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, Ello. Um, and so uh, uh, check that out and then uh, leave a review for Systematic on iTunes because I am absolutely certain you enjoyed this episode. And thank you, Betty, for being here. Thank you, Brett, for letting me be part of it. It has been great for this me. Has, this has been very fun. Um, and we will see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening. Bye.